You know, as we start here, um, my brother actually listens to my sermons um, after I preach them throughout the week. And today is his birthday. So I just want to say happy birthday to him. Um, So he'll be up there on the website and I'm sure he'll be embarrassed. But that's what you do as an older brother, right? All right. Well, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. All right. I want to ask you guys a question here. Perhaps a question, uh, if you're anything like me, you don't really ask yourself that often. And in fact, is a question that is a difficult question to answer. A question that I don't like to give the answer to. That being, am I self-righteous? Am I self-righteous? You know, the Barna Institute created, let's go back one, man. The Barna Institute created this quiz and they polled basically a large group of individuals to try to figure out Are we self-righteous? Are Christians self-righteous? And we're going to take this quiz together this morning. Amen? So if you have a piece of paper, pull out a piece of paper. If you have a phone or another digital device that you're going to be using, pull that out as well. Amen? You should, hopefully, not should, I can't say that. Hopefully you take notes. Amen? If you don't, come talk to me and you can complain to me afterwards. All right, first question. I see God-given value in every person, regardless of their past or present conditions. Secondly, what we're going to do, um, um, I apologize, I didn't explain everything here in the beginning. I want you guys to rate zero to four on these, not just yes or no, because that would be pretty easy. You're like, yes, yes, yes. They look good about life. All right. Zero to four. Zero being that I absolutely don't do it. Four being, yes, I do it every time. I nail it. That's my thing. All right. You guys good with that? So scratch out that first. Yes. And now you guys can put a number there. Second one. I believe God is for everyone. Zero to four there. Number three. I see God working in people's lives even when they are not following him. It's a good one. Number four, it is more important to help people know God than it is for them to make sure that they know they are sinners. Number five, I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. Oh, if you want to put on top of that, that's actions. I mean, excuse me, attitude like Jesus. Second one, let's talk about the actions like Jesus. Right? Because if we're going to talk about self-righteousness, there's a difference between the attitudes and the actions. Number one, it says, I listen to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. Second, in recent years, I have influenced multiple people to consider and amen, hopefully follow Christ. Number three, I regularly choose to have meals with people 
with very different faith or morals from me. <clears throat> Number four, I try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to me. <clears throat> Number five, I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. And for all of these, of course, we can look towards Jesus and we can answer a four, if not a five, for Jesus, for Jesus on every single one. Let's go to the self-righteous side of things. Self-righteous actions. I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. Hopefully it's not just like that. But we can all figure out and think for a moment if we kind of twist that statement a little bit and have it fit to our lives. Number two, I don't talk about my sins or struggles. That's between me and God. Number three, I try to avoid spending time with people who are openly gay or lesbian. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. Lastly, I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside of my church. Let's go to the last one here. Self-righteous attitudes. Number one, I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to be constantly doing the wrong things. Number two. It is not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. Number three, I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. That one you have to be honest with yourself about. Number four, I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values. Number five, people who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. And if you could, you can either do it now or do it later this week. Be able to compare and contrast those. You can add up your numbers for each section. And amen, hopefully the actions and attitudes of Christ outweigh those of the self-righteous attitudes and actions of Christ. Hopefully they outweigh them by a lot. <laughs> Those numbers are close or even the self-righteous numbers exceed those of the Christ-like numbers. You got to ask yourself, am I self-righteous? You know, and this morning we're going to talk about dangerous righteousness. Dangerous righteousness, that being self-righteousness. I think for a lot of us this morning, including myself, as I sat down to write this and to really dive into this, I can discount self-righteousness when it comes to my life. It seems like a very easy question to answer. Am I self-righteous? Of course not. Come on. But then when I look through those questions and I'm gut level honest with myself, it's a little harder to answer that question with such confidence. Because self-righteousness is deceptive, isn't it, church? It's one of those things that we don't easily see in ourselves. But luckily, everybody else does. It's a very easy thing to pick out in other people, isn't it? But harder to see in our own lives. 
And that moment that you write off self-righteousness. That moment that you write off the fact that, hey, maybe I might be self-righteous or you know what? I'm never self-righteous. That's the moment that self-righteousness seizes you. When we discount it as a possibility in our Christian walk. Let's turn to John chapter 7 and get into the Bible. Amen. We've been making our way through the gospel of John since the beginning of the year. Amen. And here we're going to jump into a point where we see that it's a turning point for Jesus. This is when the persecution really starts to ramp up. When those who not only don't want to follow Jesus, but they want to um, oppose him openly. We, we begin to see that John is setting up the conflict for the rest of the gospel. Let's start here in verse 14. It says, not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. You know, previous to that, we know that his brothers were trying to convince him to go up there and to prove himself, to show himself to everybody so that he could gather a following. But Jesus says, my time has not yet come. And we see exactly that he rolls up halfway through and begins to teach the people, not show signs, not do miracles, but to teach them about God's word. And in verse 15, let's continue reading. It says, the Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without being taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet no, not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon possessed, the crowd answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle. And you are all Amazed. Yet, because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcised the boy on the Sabbath. Now, if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. We'll stop right there. You know, Jesus is teaching in the courts here. And you can put yourself in that situation where, you know, Jesus begins to stand up and speak about God. And the crowds, one by one, individuals begin to gather to hear his words, to hear his teaching. We start to see that perhaps they begin to murmur. Perhaps word gets around and passed along. Who is this guy? Who is this guy that is teaching? Who is this guy that is teaching with such authority? Do you know where he came from? Do you know who he is? Who even taught this man? Because for the Jewish culture to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, it was so important who taught you. That gave you your credentials. 
And they looked at Jesus and they said, where are your credentials, Jesus? Why should I listen to you? And of course, they move on and they say, Jesus, you don't even follow the law. But yet you're speaking about God. Who are you? Who are you to come in here and speak to me? Who are you to come and teach? But of course, Jesus responds and amps it up and says, you know who I am? I'm the son of God. The people were unable, not unwilling, but unable to understand Jesus's message because of their self-righteousness. And it's no different for us today, church, that we are unable to understand Jesus's message, to understand the word of God because of our self-righteousness. In the minds of the Jews, they were righteous. They had no need for new teaching. They had no need for understanding the heart of God because they they were good. They they knew the law. They followed the law. Based on what they saw, what they knew, they were righteous in the eyes of God. That they were their own judge of their own righteousness. Of course, we see Jesus here is exposing them, exposing them to not compare themselves to themselves or to others, but to compare themselves to the son of God and to say, are you that righteous? Are you that good in the eyes of God? He's able to peer in and to see the mess. You know, when we compare ourselves to Jesus, our self-righteousness quickly melts away. All of a sudden, we are not so righteous. We're not so pristine. But as we said earlier, self-righteousness can be a deceitful characteristic. I want to talk for a minute about Two-Face. This is the animated series here, the classic Batman animated series, which I grew up on. Excellent, excellent show. Looking back, I watch it still. I'm not going to lie. And I'm like, how was that okay for kids back in the day? I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty intense. But amen, let's not talk about Batman too much. All right. Because I'll end up talking about comics and everything else for quite a while. See, here we go. Let's talk. Here we go. So Two-Face. We're all familiar with him, right? Well, most of us, amen. Uh, he's got a normal side of his face. Looks good. Classy, nicely groomed, got a normal side, a righteous side, if you will. We see here, based on this one side, that everything is right. But yet we can easily forget about the disfigured side. I know, that's like a child seeing that, right? Uh, We can easily forget the disfigured side. We can easily forget the side of sin. Of our pride, our lust, our anger. We can easily forget that it's not all righteous. That we are not all righteous. It's easy to turn your head and look in the mirror. And to see our own righteousness. To be able to tell ourselves, you know what? I am in good standing with God. Man, look at me. 
You know, as self-righteous, we turn our face to one side. We turn our face to one side and don't want to expose the other side. You know, in our society today, I, I would say that we rival any other society throughout history when it comes to our own self-righteousness. Why? Because I, you just look around. It's so easy to judge others. I was in Seattle a couple weeks ago. And I'm going to be real with you. I felt out of place for being a straight, white, unmarried male. Married. married. Oh, sorry. Married male. <laughs> <laughs> she was really quick with that, wasn't she? Like, married. Married. To be fair, I guess last time we talked about prenups, didn't we? So... Stab myself in the foot on that one. Once again, I don't have one. I just brought it up as an example. No prenup for Jeff and Kevin, okay? Married straight male. Okay, good. On our anniversary trip. Thank you, Fred. We're all over the place talking about Batman, prenups. Back to Jesus. <laughs> All right. But it was so easy to walk around the streets of Seattle and to say, look at me. Look at how righteous we are. We don't have a life like this. Because it was all out in the open. For us in our society today, the sin is not behind closed doors. It is out in the open. And it is so easy for us, church, as disciples of Christ, to let self-righteousness seep into our lives. It's so easy for us to look at even here in Hampton Roads in a very religious area and to compare ourselves to other Christians. To compare ourselves to other churches and to take a step back and feel justified by our own judgment of our righteousness. And to walk away with a self-righteous perceptive of who we are individually and who we are collectively. But as a Christian, we can't turn our face to one side. We got to look straight ahead and to see the ugliness and the righteousness. Amen. You know, with the Pharisees here, we begin to understand how self-righteousness manifests itself. When they are confronted by Jesus and his teaching, when they're confronted by the truth, When their lives are exposed and brought into the light, they don't like it. So they turn and attack Jesus. They attack Jesus. And in fact, Jesus can peer right in and says, I know you're trying to kill me. And sure enough, there already are plans to to not only confront Jesus, but to kill him. But here we see that the Pharisees are so easy to say, look at all I've done. Look at who I am. But yet they're missing the heart of the gospel message. They're so consumed by the law, so consumed by Jesus confronting them that they're willing to go to a place of murder to kill Jesus, to protect their own righteousness. All because he healed someone. All because 
he was reaching out. Because he was acting as God was acting. And here we see that Jesus even calls him out and says, hey, you're willing to break the Sabbath. You're willing to go against what God says because you realize that you need to do right. Because you realize this is what you need to do to protect a young boy. But yet when I do it, you guys are quick to go after me. Would they miss the heart of Jesus' message? You know, as a church, do you ever notice that we talk about the heart a lot, don't we? It's a phrase commonly thrown around in our congregation. You got to get to the heart. You got to get to the heart of that. I want to ask you, what does that mean? I mean, seriously, when you think about it, you're like, we're very quick to say it, aren't we? You got to get to the heart. But if I ask you, what does that mean in that moment? What would we say? Or better yet, if I were to ask you, how are we going to do that? What would we say? You know, we see someone struggling in their faith, perhaps caught in sin. And what do we say? Stop it. I mean, seriously. Hey, I'm having a hard time reading my Bible. Well, you you better read your Bible. Man, I'm really struggling in my pride. Well, I would suggest being humble. (laughs) They're like, oh, my purity is all over the place. You're like, throw away your phone. My purity is all over the place. Well, you know what? Just cut your cable. My purity is all over the place. Well, just look down at the ground. Like, that's the, right? Those are all things that I've said. Quickly. To people. And then felt like, you know what? Amen. I helped that person out. <laughs> They're more like Jesus. I'm more like Jesus. This is, this is a great conversation. And especially for men. Right? We don't want to talk about things. We don't want to get to the heart. Typical problem. Right here. You know, another guy comes up to me and says, hey, I had a fight with my wife. You know, and I asked, hey, why? He was like, oh, my house was messy. My house was messy. And she said she was going to clean it. And man, I'm just so frustrated. And I turn around and say, well, you know what? You should probably read um, Ephesians. It says, love your wife. Good to go. That was a great D time. That was a good discipling time right there. We got to the heart of it. I used scripture. I asked him why. He answered me. Awesome. Closer to Jesus. Both of us. But to get to the heart, we got to ask, what's going on? What's going on in your life? Let me give you um, another situation. Perhaps you're having a, let's just take a very surfacey one. You're having trouble swearing. Having trouble being angry. Frustrated. The first great question to ask is, why? Why are you so angry? Next question would be, why do you feel justified in your anger? Why do you feel like you can go off on somebody? How can you tell God that it's okay for you to swear at somebody else? Now we're starting to get to the heart. I'm not saying that's totally there yet. But now we're starting to dig a little deeper, brush a little bit off the surface there. 
You know, it takes it takes work to get to the heart, doesn't it, church? Longer than five minutes. We got to get good at asking questions if we want to expose the self-righteousness. But when we're not willing to go to the heart, as we see here with the Pharisees. It promotes self-righteousness. It just makes us feel better about ourselves. And we can walk away and say, if I act righteous, therefore I am righteous. If I have the right outside, if I do the right things, if I say the right things, therefore I am righteous. Because that's a reflection of who I am before God. Let's talk here for a minute about this lovely vehicle up on the screen. That was my first truck that I bought with my own money. My own money, right? And for all of us, you guys can think back to your first vehicle that you purchased your own money. Not mom and dad handed it down to you and sold you for 20 bucks or grandpa. No, you bought a real car with your own money. Right? There's a, like a sense of pride in that, right? You're like, ah, I did this. I've made it in life. My $5,000 went a long way. My $100 car payment is... I can handle that. You know, this was, like I said, this was my first vehicle. And I lived in Florida. Uh, I went to college down there. So what did I do? I lifted it. <laughs> I put some mud tires on it. Right? And after I lifted it, um, where I worked at Food Lion, there was this drainage pond slash field. You know, and so when it would rain a little bit, as it does in Florida, I decided, you know, I got this sweet lifted truck. I'm going to go do some donuts. Sure enough, the first couple times, it was a lot of fun, right? The mac in slides out, everybody's done donuts before, highly suggested, possibly not in a uh, private property, but I suggest it, it's a lot of fun. Rear wheel drive though, you gotta have rear wheel drive. You front wheel drive, hmm, just ain't gonna be right. All right, so one day it's raining hard, and I decide, you know what, in my sweet lifted truck, I'm gonna go out there, and I'm gonna go just pedal to the metal, and I'm gonna make it through this field. I go, truck stops, I, it was a manual, I shift up into second gear, burnt, stop, dead in my tracks. I'm like, uh-oh, reverse, that's what you're supposed to do when you get stuck, reverse, let me try to rock my way out of this, digs in, digs in, digs in, until the rockers, that's the panel underneath the door, is on the ground. I mean, I'm stuck. Not only am I stuck, but I'm within eyesight of my job. Who happens to own that property? I walk inside, I talk to one of my friends there who's a good old boy there in the community. And I'm like, dude, is there anybody you can call? He's like, yeah, I got buddies at the fire department. I know. So they come in a couple of fire engines. Lights going off. And they end up pulling me out with a fire truck. Now, of course, they were doing all that to really give me a hard time. <laughs> now, I look back, I'm like, that was stupid. But here's the, the, here's the stupidest part about it, all right? It was two-wheel drive trucks. <laughs> you look at that and you're like, man, that's a manly four-wheel drive truck. It's not. It's two-wheel drive. 
dressed up as a four-wheel drive. That's self-righteousness in a nutshell, amen? The outside is all pretty, but there ain't nothing there. The pedal's all the way down to the ground, but you ain't going nowhere. I could put a 4 by 4 sticker on the back, but it ain't changed anything. I can wear a HRC shirt, but what's on the inside? I could sit here on a Sunday. I could dress it up, but what's on the inside? Have we become all about the outside? All about the actions. I think some ways that we can tell is, do we judge other people based on their sin while overlooking our own? Jesus goes after this in Matthew chapter 7. By going after the fact that you pick out the sawdust in someone else's eye, but yet you're walking around with a swinging plank out of yours. No, for us, for me, I can come in hot when somebody's caught in sin. Being on, being on staff here, I feel like, oh, I got you. I can come in. Let me disciple that sin. Let me go after helping you out. But how quick am I to share my own? How quick am I to bring into the light saying, hey, brother, hey, sister, this is what's going on in my life. Secondly, we can compare ourselves to others, sadly, to justify our own sin, to justify our own guilt. You know, in Luke chapter 18, we see that there was a Pharisee and a tax collector. The tax collector goes to God in prayer and basically lays it all out there. The Pharisee goes to God in prayer and said, I'm not as bad as that guy, God. But how easily can we do that, church? Thirdly, we can judge based on selective standards. The rules of the church, if you will. The added rules of righteousness. Do we go on double dates if you're single? Do you have somebody else there? Amen, that's good to have. But if you're basing your own righteousness based on the fact that you have somebody else with you when you're going out on a date, that doesn't make sense. Wow. You know, or perhaps it's there's someone of the opposite sex in need. Perhaps they need a ride home and you take them home. And someone looks at you and says, hey, brother or sister, I don't know if that was the wisest thing in the world. And they begin to go after you about it. And you're just like, all I wanted to do was help somebody out. These are just a few kind of unwritten rules that we live by here within the church. But does that equal righteousness? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, we see that Jesus goes after the Pharisees because they strain out a gnat. They're so concerned about the law that they're willing to strain out a gnat, but they miss the bigger picture. Number four, we're more concerned about Christian um, appearances for approval rather than the heart. And an easy way to test this is what do you like at home versus what do you like here? What do you like at home versus what do you like around other disciples, other Christians? Fifthly, 
This is a tough one here. We have a hard time forgiving others. We get frustrated with others. We get frustrated with others when they hurt us or when they're stuck in sin and they won't listen. We get so easily frustrated. We look at them and we're like, oh, why can't you do it? Basically, why can't you be more like me? Because sadly, what ends up happening is we don't see our own need, our own need for forgiveness. Now, you might be saying to yourself, Jeff, you've been really going after this self-righteousness and we are going to land it here. Amen. But we haven't gone after because it, it is such an easy trap to fall into. Right. Even as a leader in the church, as I said before, this is an easy thing for me to fall into. You know, and I, as I wrote this, I'll be honest with you guys. I had a hard time wrapping my head around this. I had a hard time wrapping my head. How am I going to express what self-righteousness is? How am I going to display that for the church? But it's easy to point out, hard to prevent. And that's what I was having such a hard time with. Like how it's very easy to point a finger, right? Even in preaching about self-righteousness. But hard to teach. How do we prevent this? How do we build a wall against this as a church? How do we prevent ourselves from being self-righteous? How do we prevent ourselves from grabbing a hold of a dangerous righteousness? Well, we see Jesus here as the example. That he too was a righteous man. He too was a man who had dangerous righteousness. We see that he had unapologetic righteousness. That this is who I am. I follow God to the point of laying down my own life. I'm going to live outside of the societal norms. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak the word of God. And there's nothing you can do about it. He had no fear when it came to speaking the truth. That Jesus we see here was willing to say whatever needed to be said, no matter the reaction. That he was only concerned about God's glory and not his own. Based on the fact that he was secure in his righteousness before God. He was secure in the fact that God was the source of his righteousness. Not based on his actions or his comparisons. But that God was the one who handed down his righteousness. We see here that a dangerous righteousness is one with a complete lack of self. And I know you're saying, well, Jeff, that's obvious. You just hacked off the front of the word. Yeah, I did. That word quickly becomes positive when we take out ourselves. You know, it becomes a dangerous righteousness in the fact, like Christ, when we're able to remove self. There's a security in that when we're able to remove self, that we can pursue God out of a pure heart, unapologetically and without fear. Church, that's where we should be. You want to prevent self-righteousness? Drop self. Look to God for your righteousness. You know, both dangerous righteousnesses are evident to everybody around you. Easy to point out self-righteousness or dangerous righteousness, as we see with Jesus right here. One draws people towards God. One repels. 
So my question to you, church, is which one are you? Amen. Dangerous righteousness. Thank you.